Well, let me add my welcome to every single one of you today joining us online and in the room on this Advent season. And I want to thank Pastor Bill for the opportunity to share God's word today. I greet you today with the words of James, brother of Jesus, who wrote, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Why? Because he is the origin of light. And so he doesn't sway, he's steadfast, always good, his presence never fails us. And that's the good news of the Advent season. And so would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you. And we rejoice with those who said to us, let us go to the house of the Lord today. May your spirit guide our time together, uniting our hearts with yours, transform us by the renewing of our minds through the teaching of your word. We make this prayer in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. World Cup Championship Sunday today. Who's pumped? Yeah, we've got some people excited in the room. We've got Argentina. And then we've got the other guys. Yeah. I know some of you may not be checking the score right now because you want to, maybe you recorded it, but, uh, but I'm just going to say it's going to be almost impossible to get out of here today without hearing the score. So, so I, may I just say that it looks like that the sky blue and white might be hoisting pretty soon. So let's pray. Let's see what happens. And if, again, you're, you know, kind of going for the other guys, then, well, you're in Miami. All right. So... <laughs> No sympathy for you. No sympathy. But, you know, I love sports for this, for this season because of all the stories that bubble up to the surface from what happens, you know, you know, whether it be on the pitch or on the field or whatever it might be, whatever sport it might be. But I just love major tournaments like this because always some kind of drama starts rising up to the surface. And I love, I don't know if you heard this a couple weeks ago, Bakai Usaka. What Bakai Usaka said after his defeat over Senegal, he plays for the English team. He's an Arsenal player for England, and he's an up-and-coming striker, 21 years old. He's known for reading his Bible on a regular basis. And in Qatar, a journalist asked him, in a a somewhat demeaning way, have you been reading your Bible every day in Qatar, Bakayu? And he said this, yeah, I've been continuing to do that out here. I read my Bible every night. For me, it's really important to have the presence of God in me all the time. And it gives me more confidence to know that God's plan is perfect. So I can go on the pitch and know that God has my back. Amen? For a 21-year-old up-and-coming kid on a massive World Cup stage to proclaim God's witness like that is just stunning to me. In fact, the French striker, Gerdou, said something very similar and has been quoted multiple times in saying that he prays every time before he goes on the pitch and he prays after every goal and he reads his Bible consistently. And so we, we honor the public witness of every player even when they play on the opposing team. <laughs> right? Well, we thank God for them. And as many of you know, this is the first time that the World Cup has ever been played during the winter months. Typically it's pay, played in the summer months, but I think it's so fitting that the World Cup in a major tournament like this is being played during the Advent season, right? Every four years, we long for this tournament 
We're excited for it. We, we can't wait for it. We, you know, we all get, you know, all jammed up and excited about, you know, the different teams that are, that are playing in the tournament, you know, vying for that championship slot. And in the same way, our hearts long for the arrival of our king. Do they not? Our hearts long for eternity, for something greater than us, for something bigger than us. The word advent means arrival and celebrates the moment when God arrived to us. In Christ Jesus in the most unexpected way. That's a perfect gift to save you, to save me, to save our whole world and offer us the future hope of life together with your heavenly father, fully restored, fully reconciled. Which means whatever you might be experiencing this Christmas season, however you walked into this room, or however you clicked online right now. God hasn't forgotten you. It might seem like that in the waiting, as we heard Jenny talk about just a few moments ago in leading worship for us today. It might seem frustrating in the waiting. You might, see, you, you might even wonder, is this really going to happen? Is what I'm longing for really going to come to pass? And so in this season, in the Advent season, it's one of the few times in the whole Christian calendar where just... God meets us in those emotional moments of longing, of waiting. So whatever you might be experiencing, God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten you. In fact, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which also means yes, ascends to God for his glory, which means in Christ, all of God's promises are siempre si, always yes, always yes. Though Christmas has become filled with so many characters of all different kinds, right? Oh, so many characters. Advent itself isn't a fairy tale. It's not part of all those characters and and just one, you know, part of the one big fairy tale of Christmas. No, in fact, it points us to the inbreaking of a reality more true, more real than anything this world could ever offer to us. It's the arrival of the most perfect gift. The most perfect gift. In the weeks leading up to the World Cup, a number of my friends recommended that I ought to check out the show Ted Lasso. Any Ted Lasso fans in the house? Yeah? Any Ted Lasso fans online? It's a quirky show. Yep, I know. I know you're a Ted Lasso fan. We were just talking about it at the last experience. Ted Lasso, it's funny. It's witty. It's full of a lot of language, just to be aware of that if you check it out. But it's full of a number of surprising leadership principles. The series is about a Division II Midwest American college football coach who gets recruited to become the manager of, a premier, of an English Premier League football team. What a premise, right? From his first day on the pitch, no one believes in Ted Lasso, except for Ted Lasso. You knew I was coming at you, right? I knew, I knew you knew. His charming buoyancy isn't phased by criticism. In fact, what makes this show so compelling is how Ted Lasso overcomes personal and professional challenges on the pitch by showing compassion and unwavering positivity. One of the tactics that Ted Lasso uses to overcome his critics is by giving little gifts to his, to his owner, 
to his players, to his fellow coaches. It's, it's really remarkable. And in one scene in particular, he gives just the right gift to a player on the team who needed to feel a little bit more like home. Check it out. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, coach, you got any last words? Speed on the outside. Speed on the outside. You heard the man. That's all we got for you, except for one thing, uh, and that's happy birthday, Sam! Hey, man, you guys got me chin-chin. No, wow, this is all I used to eat growing up. <laughs> well, we know you haven't been home in a while, so we thought we'd bring some home to you. Oh, you guys, man. Is she? Is she gone? Hey, happy birthday, Sam. Thank you, Coach. Well, we got a few things in there for you. Coach, what's, what's, what's this? <laughs> My little boy gave me a whole bunch of these. You know, help keep me safe while I'm away. Yeah, I miss him, you know. <laughs> My dad used to... It was just to pinch my earlobes for good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we know you haven't been home in a while, so we thought we'd bring a little bit of home to you. I can't imagine a better description of Christmas, right? We bring a little bit of home to you. Christ makes a way home for you. Can you think of a time when you couldn't wait to give just the right gift to someone special in your life? Can you remember that time when you couldn't Wait to give just the perfect gift. How did you feel when you purchased that gift? The anticipation, the buildup, when, when you wrapped that gift and you held on to it for just the right time to give it to your special loved one. And then when you actually did give it to your loved one, do you remember when they opened it up and they said, oh, it's perfect. It's the perfect gift. Right? I mean, how did that make you feel? Feels so excited, doesn't it? So exciting. In the months leading up to Christmas a couple years ago, my son wanted so much this Spider-Man bike. He just wanted it so badly. And he asked anyone who would listen for a Spider-Man bike. He constantly, he would, Dad, can I get a Spider-Man bike? Mama, can you please give me a Spider-Man bike? He asked his grandmothers. He asked Santa. He probably asked many of you in the room <laughs> for a Spider-Man bike. I mean, it was relentless in his pursuit for a Spider-Man bike. And so you can imagine my wife and me on Christmas morning watching him come down into the living room out of his bedroom, walking in. And then right next to the tree, boom, the Spider-Man bike that he'd been longing for. His eyes got so big, and he was so excited. You can just imagine, we felt, we felt more elated than he did watching the, the buildup over several weeks finally come to fruition. There's nothing like giving the perfect gift, is there? There's nothing like it. In fact, you're wired for it. In a 2021 scientific study done by the University of Zurich, Researchers concluded that giving a gift to someone else activates areas of the brain that control empathy, the ability to enter into others' stories, and happiness, which we might define as joy and contentment, right? Intuitively, I think we know this. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote about this. He said, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Intuitively, deep down, we know that shop therapy doesn't quite do it for us, even though we all kind of get into it anyway. And more often than not, it leads to remorse, 
doesn't it? <laughs> it leads to us thinking, oh man, I don't know about that. I don't know if I should have done that. In a similar way to, you know, it's binge TV and overeating and pornography. It's just all, all, those, all, all those outward external foci that produce the chemical compounds in our, in our brain, dopamine, to produce the feeling of pleasure. Shopping does the same thing. And we, we also know that happiness and pleasure aren't synonymous, are they? Sometimes they coincide together. So, sometimes they, they travel along the same path together, but other times they don't. In fact, the wrong pleasures can instantly produce feelings of regret and shame inside of us. In this way, pleasure is kind of like gasoline, I think. Under the right circumstances, gasoline can power your car over fast distances and take you where you want to go. But when used inappropriately, gasoline can blow you up. Either way, gasoline eventually runs dry, doesn't it? Pleasure is the same way. It could take you, it could take you a, little, a little while. It can also blow up in your face, but it also eventually runs dry. But contentment, true happiness, true joy, that, that kind of joy, shalom, peace, that endures. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. And so when we seek that peace in places in this world where we think we might find it, we typically always find ourselves wanting it. We just can't find that kind of peace here. And so Jesus says, don't be troubled and afraid about that. Seek me. I'm your peace. Advent reminds us that shalom peace arrived in God's perfect gift to us in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing like giving the perfect gift to your special loved one. And that's exactly how God thought about you. You are his special loved one. You are his prized possession. Did you know that? Did you know that about yourself? Some of you might, but some of you might be wondering about that. Am I really God's special possession? Is, am I really God's gift? You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In our day, the word possession connotes ideas of, of control or even abuse in the worst uses of the term, but not so with God. Possession in this context means belonging through sacrifice. You belong to God through the sacrifice that he made available for us, which at its core embodies selflessness. God created you in his image, fearfully and wonderfully made. And the perfect gift that God chose to give to his loved ones, to all people across all time, to you, to me, to your friends, your family, your loved ones, to the people not yet here in this room, to people who don't even yet know about the goodness and truth that exists for them in Christ Jesus, God gave to them that first Christmas morning the perfect gift of God himself emptied into Christ Jesus the Son so that he may offer his life in our place as a perfect once and for all gift for all time for the forgiveness of our sin to bring us back into a restored family with him. I mean, that's, that's the good news message of Advent. That's the good news message of Christmas. You are his special loved one. You've been chosen. You've been set apart. You, 
You're holy. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that about yourself? You're holy. You've, you are, you've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light by Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Now, this word Messiah, I want to I land here today on this word Messiah. Because my hunch tells me, based on just my own personal experience, my hunch tells me that this, this word might not be fully understood by, by most people who sing the songs with the word Messiah in it, who receive a Christmas card and the word Messiah is in it. I, personally, I didn't know what the word Messiah truly meant until I was in my early 20s. And when I, when I learned the word Messiah and what it really meant, it changed my whole perspective on Advent. The Greek word for Messiah is the term Christu, which transliterates into English as Christ and means Messiah. So in Luke's gospel, when the angel appeared to the shepherds saying, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. The word behind Messiah is the word Christu, from which we receive our English word Christ. So Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, it's a title. And it means Messiah. Now, the Greek word Christu, Christ, derives from the Hebrew word Meshiach, which also transliterates into English as Messiah. So Christu and Meshiach are the same word in different languages. They both mean Messiah, and the definition of Messiah means anointed one. Anointed one. So another way to read Luke chapter 2, verse 11, is today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the anointed one. The opening verse in Matthew's gospel could read, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the anointed one. Well, what does anointed one mean? And why does that matter? When the first listeners of the gospels heard the term Christu read aloud in Luke's gospel, they would have remembered their history as God's chosen people, and they would have known and recalled the purposes for why a man would be anointed. To anoint means to smear. That's the actual meaning of anoint. It just means to smear or rub. And in the Old Testament, before a man would embark upon a sacred task to carry out God's mission for his people, a priest would anoint that man's head with oil. He would rub oil on his head to symbolically represent God's covering his covering presence over that person. So Messiah, meaning anointed one, anointed meaning to rub, and that, that act symbolizing God's covering. So when you hear this verse read, this is Jesus, the anointed one, with God's special covering to carry out his sacred mission in the world. Well, there were three reasons why a man would be anointed in the Old Testament. First, to lead as a king. A king was always anointed by a priest to serve God's sacred mission to lead as a king. Second, to speak as a prophet. And then third, to serve as a priest. First about the king. God would anoint a king to lead God's people with integrity, with character. The king stands for righteousness among the people. The king advocates for justice and guides people down paths of peace and benevolence for God's people. God anointed Israel's king to serve the people and bless the world. So in a way, Israel's king was always intended to be a king for the world, a king to bless the world, even though that vision never materialized. Why? Because most kings, 
who served Israel were kings who did evil in God's sight. They were kings who did the opposite of caring for the people and blessing the world. They were kings who oppressed people. They were kings who cursed other nations. You probably know some rulers like that. One proverb reads, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Ever, ever groan under a leader? Maybe in your business or workplace, maybe, maybe someplace in your life, you groan under the leadership of someone else who just didn't quite serve with that kind of benevolence, that kind of goodness. An anointed king is always good news whenever there are leaders who are wielding power for their own gain. Now, second about the prophet. God would anoint a prophet for the purpose of telling God's truth. Since the very beginning of time in Genesis chapter three, when the enemy broke into our world and deceived the first man, first woman, Adam and Eve, with what? A lie. The world has been yearning for the truth ever since. We've been hungering for the truth. Some of the most grievous atrocities in the last century have been done in the name of lies cloaked as truth. In the last century alone, more people died to, to war than any other time in human history. Why? Because of lies cloaked as truth. You might be experiencing that in your own life where there are lies coming at you cloaked as truth. And in the face of, of lies cloaked as truth, we experience that we, the world's plight because there's an enemy whose central weapon to us is deception. And he's prowling around like a roaring lion for someone to devour, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy from anyone whose ears would be open to deception. Israel faced the very same lies centuries ago. Leaders made false claims and abused their power. God's people strayed from their life together and apart from God. And, but at the moment when Desperation would reach its peak among God's people. God would always call up, raise up, set apart. And a priest would anoint that person to tell the truth that either couldn't or wouldn't be shared. God would always raise up a truth teller. An anointed priest is always good news when people are far from God. Or God would anoint a priest, I'm sorry, an anointed prophet is always good news when there are voices telling lies to us. Telling lies. And last about the priest. God would anoint a priest to serve God's people. Sin distanced people from God. That was the result of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Sin entered into the world, and the chasm couldn't be overcome from us. So what did God do? Well, God so loved the world that he raised up priests and gave them the sacred mission of offering sacrifices on behalf of the people to bring them back into his presence. An anointing priest is always good news when people are far from God. Each one of these three offices functioned as the means through which God sought to live with his people all throughout the Old Testament. Now with this in mind, imagine hearing the angels call again in Luke chapter two. Imagine for the first time with that definition of what it means to be anointed, Hearing the angel cry out, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who will lead as a good king, the one who would tell the truth as a prophet, the one who will serve the world as our priest. This wasn't merely a title. Messiah wasn't merely a title. This was hope incarnate. 
And God himself would speak truth in a world saturated with lies, lead his people into their promised future, and perhaps most significant of all, restore our relationship with the Father through a once and for all time perfect sacrifice, a perfect gift offered on our behalf through this Messiah. And not just given by him, but as the sacrifice himself. This Advent season, what if you opened your heart in a fresh way to this Messiah? What if you opened your heart in in a new way, or maybe for the first time, to a king who desires to lead you into your promised future, to speak truth to you that you need to hear and to serve you in a way that restores your relationship to your father? How might your life change if you receive the anointed one by God as the king to lead you into his promised future? You know, Jesus doesn't look like a king. After all, he was born in a feeding trough. How many kings do you know were born in a feeding trough? Probably not very many. I only know of one. Jesus doesn't qualify according to the world's expectations as any type of king, but we thank God that God doesn't operate according to the world's expectations. About 700 years before Jesus, God anointed a prophet named Isaiah to speak God's truth about the future anointed king. And he wrote, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Who needs a king described as that in your life? I do. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen, which means where there seems to be no way, the Lord will find a way. And he did in the person of our Messiah. I don't know about you, but this kind of king is worthy of all my allegiance, worthy of my entire life. I I need this king's leadership over my mind and in my heart and leading my way. Advent announces the arrival of this good king who promises to lead you to peace, shalom peace, not just peace masked as pleasure or peace masked as, as temporary comfort, but as peace that brings wholeness from the inside out. His kingdom isn't governed by the same laws that govern our world. In fact, King Jesus summed up his entire law in one single word. In John chapter 13, and he said this, a new command I give you, love. Love one another. If you want to know the law of this kingdom and seek to obey it, it's simply to love. That's it. That's how you know that you are a citizen of this kingdom as love fills you and then pours out of you. The law of King Jesus is love and his gospel, thank God, is a gospel of peace, is a gospel of wholeness, is a gospel that covers us from head to toe. His law of love isn't, though, a Christmas card sentiment. And so when I say love, I'm not thinking of the kind of love that we just read in Christmas cards or we might watch on TV. I'm thinking of love defined by service and sacrifice. To love like Jesus lifts the needs of others above yourself. It lifts, it lifts others, it, places, it allows others to go before you. His law is simple. It's not easy, but it's good. It's always good. 
to follow your anointed king is to follow Jesus' lead in sacrificial love. How might your life change this Advent season if you receive the anointed one by God as the prophet in your life to speak the truth that you need to hear? In a day when so many voices are after us, are telling us what to do, what to believe, how to feel, how to vote, how to spend your resources, what to think about yourself, what to think about others. And whatever else those millions of voices want to say to you and about you, what if this Advent season we quieted those voices? And instead we opened our ears to the only one, according to the Christmas story, who was authorized by God to speak the truth to you that you need to hear, that I need to hear. This Advent season, whenever you hear the word Messiah, may you be reminded to open your ear to the still small voice of God, the only one authorized in the Christmas season to speak truth to us, to give us his truth in his word. How might your life change this Advent season if you receive the anointed one by God as the priest to reconcile your broken relationship to God? And quite frankly, I think this is the most stunning. As we look at these three offices of king, prophet, and priest, they're all amazing in their own way, but, but there's something about this, this one in particular that just stuns my heart. The way the Old Testament priests back then, the way that they restored God's people into a right relationship with him was by offering a sacrifice without any blemish. The gospel writers tell us that the perfect sacrifice that would restore us back into a right relationship with God forever wouldn't just be offered by the Messiah, but would be the Messiah. (laughs) He is our priest and he is our sacrifice. And that to me is most stunning. Most stunning. Some of you today walked into this room with all kinds of needs. Perhaps your heart feels laden with shame. Maybe you're working through regrets of your past. Perhaps you're trying to understand the broken relationships that you're currently processing. Maybe some of you today might be trying to discern how you're going to put food on the table during this Advent season, which, by the way, if, if you are thinking that, your church wants to come alongside of you for that. Your Messiah cares about each and every single one of your needs, even those that are so deeply rooted in you that maybe, maybe no one even knows what that need might be. But truly, your most present, urgent need is restoration with God. And Jesus meets us all the way down into that need into that need that not even we can do anything about. And that's the gracious gift that he offers to us. That's the perfect gift that comes to us this Advent season. Once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice, the author of Hebrews tells us. What a perfect Christmas gift for our world, for those of us who feel lost, for those of us in need. Our Messiah is the way, the truth, and the life. From John 14, you've ever heard that where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? I think John here is actually recording what Jesus said as a redefinition of what it means to be the Messiah. He is the king who shows us the way. He's the prophet who tells us the truth. He's the priest who offers us life. He's the perfect gift. And to accept it, all we need to do is receive him with gratitude. That's all we need. His sacrifice removes 
sin's death from us. And as a result, we have an anointing. John wrote, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Christ made our Heavenly Father's love and goodness known to us. We know the truth. It's been revealed to us. But the good news in this, the surprising news of this in Christmas is that the same anointing that the Father extended to the Son now covers you. You are covered. God's got you. Your Father's got you. Which means nothing in this world can keep you from experiencing that goodness. No circumstance in this world, no situation. In fact, the whole world might even give way around you. But his covering's got you. That's the gift. And now his covering calls you to embark upon God's sacred work in the world. The same sacred work that the Father gave to the Son to seek and save the lost now extends to us. We've got the same mission now. As we receive this gift, it's, uh, it's now ours to share. It's ours to give away. This was, this was first Jesus' sacred mission, and now you've been anointed by the Father to carry it out, not as the Messiah, but as the Messiah's hands and feet, called the church. That's the good news of what it now means to be part of the church. And this is how we know we're more than conquerors, because God's got you covered. And since his anointing covers every part of you, everywhere you go, now there's nowhere you can go where God's not with you. There's nothing you can do where God's not with you. So today, let me invite you to receive his way as king and share his way. Let me invite you today to receive his truth as the good prophet and share his truth. Let me invite you today to receive his life as our priest and sacrifice, and then share his life. You are anointed to lead. You are anointed to speak God's truth, and you are anointed to serve the world. And so this Christmas, we, we have a week. And so my call to action for us today is to simply take a couple of these with you to receive his truth and then to share it in word and then to invite others to come and experience the way, the truth, and the life of their Savior. Because the Savior isn't just for us. The Savior is for the whole world. And so on your way out today, let me encourage you to pick a couple of these up and let's share it. Like, a, like one of those cookie trays. You know, I don't know if you guys get these. My family, we get them because we've got little kids. But do you ever get those pass the tray cookie exchange trays. You know that you get, you get a whole tray of cookies, but then the goal is to then pass the tray on to somebody else. You ever get those? We, we get those. And the joy of, of, of receiving these is, is you bake cookies with your family and then you get to share some with others, that, you know, some of your favorite cookies. Let's pass the sweet tray of cookies in this invitation to someone. The good news is that no one has to bake any cookies. <laughs> so you don't have to bake any cookies. All you have to do is just pass the sweetness. Let's share this sweetness and let's witness what God does. Is love really love if it isn't shared? Love isn't love until you give it away. So let's give the gift of Christmas. Let's give the gift of Christ as we share with others this Christmas season. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you 
for your arrival on the scene, for your arrival in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for, for meeting us in our needs, for not counting our sin against us, but for truly seeing us as ones fearfully and wonderfully made in your image. Lord, thank you. Thank you for meeting us all the way deep into those places of our lives that we can't get to on our own, that, that words can't quite express. But Lord, you, you, your spirit not only gets there, but lets the healing and restoration begin. And so Lord, we give you our gratitude. We give you all of our praise. We give our lives to you. And as we offer this prayer to you, Lord, we pray that as your spirit comes more alive in us, that you would give us the courage to share. That you would give us the courage to receive your way, truth, and life anew today, and then share your way, truth, and life with others in need who are living in darkness and haven't yet experienced your marvelous light. So Lord, help us. Give us the courage. Give us the, give us the confidence in our faith. Give us the boldness as a church, to enter into the dark places of our world, whether that be a relationship, whether that be into our workplaces, into our families, Lord, whatever that might be, Lord, just we pray for the courage to enter into those spaces and shine your light. Share the sweetness. And so, Lord, we love you. And we offer this prayer in your name. And for those gathered here with us in this room today, here or online, if today you want this to be your first day to receive Jesus for the very first time, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for your arrival. And Jesus, I'm so thankful that as my good priest, you offered yourself as a sacrifice for my behalf so that I can live with you forever. And so, Lord, I'm turning from my way. I'm, I'm receiving your way. And I want to walk with you forever, beginning today. Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Wash me clean as I make this prayer in your name. If you prayed this prayer of salvation with me today and you want today to be your very first day walking with Jesus, then would you just simply raise your hand so that I can say a prayer of blessing over you. Thank you. Amen. The ladies in my middle, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back. To the gentleman in the back, thank you. Lord, for every uplifted hand, we give thanks for your move of the Spirit in their life. This Advent, and future Advents to come will never be the same because now we've received your arrival. And so Lord, we pray your blessing over every uplifted hand. And as their church, we welcome them into the family. We walk with them. And so Lord, help us, help us move forward into this next season with your courage, with your boldness, with your peace as we make this prayer in your name. Amen.